Do you spend much time on Reddit? Only for when I'm asking about computer issues. (laughs) (laughs) No kidding. That's like number one go-to for tech problems. Yeah, no, not a whole lot of time on Reddit. I know a little bit about trans and egg IRL Reddits, but those are about it. Yeah, There's a lot of communities on Reddit that are wonderful and... I was just doing a little searching around for some funny conversations, and I found a couple I thought I would share with you today. I love it. One is some discussion that was happening in a thread called Funny Things About Being Trans. Uh, Too many. And specifically, this was on the r slash FTM, just to give some context for the specifics. So here's one. I don't know how to pronounce this particular one. It's Sigsquirhugquir says... I think that's a math equation. (laughs) The best one I have is when my dad, who's been very supportive, but initially surprised and confounded uh, when I came out as transgender, uh, came to see me a few weeks ago, and I told him about how good school and work were, and he joked, I never thought I'd say this, but I'm proud of you, son. And we both burst out <laughs> laughing. <laughs> oh, that's excellent. That that's excellent. I love it when parents can have a good sense of humor. I think it's important look at us but the next one comes from little person paradox some of these names are just amazing i love and they said the one and only time i went to a strip club for a stag party a stripper yelled at me to get your dick out and i really wished i had a packer so that i could whip it out and helicopter it over my head (laughs) and then i thought that was great but then clever name unavailable responded helicoptering your packer is probably inappropriate in many contexts but i can't think of a single situation where i wouldn't encourage it i agree helicoptering your packer oh man (laughs) what a sentence i love it it's very good frogs forever I love this one. Says, haha, I love getting to say all sorts of awful puns and jokes. I shot myself full of man today. Or, my dick is coming in the mail. <laughs> Packers really are the best dick in a box, aren't they? <laughs> they are. It's my dick in a box. I, okay, hold on. Side yeah. tangent here. I worked a Halloween party this year, and there were two men who came to the Halloween party. It was at a local brewery who were dressed only as dick in a box. <laughs> To be fair, they were wearing other clothes, which I appreciate. Yeah, no, that's good. But it, it was also snowing, so I I fear to imagine <laughs> how far they would have taken it had it not been snowing. But it's funny how some things stick around for so long. That SNL song was like from over, over 15 years ago, and yet here we are still referencing it. Related to the last one is Abba Yomi, who says, Injectable testicles! <laughs> injectable injectable testicles injectable testicles no that's a different thing wow that's definitely different yeah injectable testicles i love it i love hearing trans mask names for their drugs because the trans femme ones are always very good but overdone like titty tablets or like femme we have a whole episode called titty tablets we go over that but yeah, no, trans mask names for inject or for like drugs are good. Yeah, injectable testicles. It just rolls off the tongue. Injectable testicles. No, I had to stop myself there. It really does. <laughs> and then just one one more piece that comes from a different thread. It's called Funny Ways to Come Out as Trans. I believe this came the thread was on the R slash trans with lots of A's in the middle of it. Do you love that subreddit? That one's a good one. This username is wet cuddle. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I but 
I've really I've gotten re into Hell of a Boss. Oh yeah, and that not because I'm actually watching it, but because the music videos are so goddamn good. And yes, Wet Cuddle just makes me think of Clown Bitch, which is a newer song, and it is so good. I highly yes. recommend. Wet Wet Cuddle says. If your friends are gamers, and you can always say you're respecking, <laughs> I've played the first half of my game as this, and now I'm going to play it in the second half as this. <laughs> I liked that. Oh, uh, it fits in very well with our episode today. I thought that would. Yeah. And then I thought I'd close off on one that really just made me chuckle out loud, and I think it will you too. Gas X and A Cuppa says, I'm a gender. What if, and hear me out. I set up like I was going to do a gender reveal, and then when I cut into the cake, it was hollow, and I go, oh no, I guess there's no gender. Oh, that's excellent. The only thing that I think could top that is if you got a giant cake and you hid inside of it, and when you <laughs> burst out, it was, my gender is me, fuck all of you, and then you just like, yeah. ran away. Oh man, it's empty inside, my gender. Hi, I'm Anna, a transgender person with tits. <laughs> and I'm Cam, your dad. Hey. Yeah, our first episode since I have tits now. Yay! I can hear it in your voice. I, you I don't know if it. our audience can, yeah. but... <laughs> anyway, this is The Transgender, a podcast chronicling my titsition. And a cisgender <laughs> man learning about your tits and how to support <laughs> them? No, that's... Like a bra. Hey, <laughs> we came into this episode with a really wild energy, so uh, I'm excited for this one. <laughs> All right. Hey, you play video games. I, we've talked about this before. I do. I, I love yeah. playing video games. Well, have you played the game Celeste? A little bit. Not as much as I would have liked, because everything about it, from the music to the theming, is beautiful. I might probably need to go back and spend more time with it. I, that's where I'm at, too. I played about halfway through, and it's not a game that I don't enjoy playing. It's just not the type of game that I'm like, I want to sit down and play a 2D platformer right now. It gets hard at times, too. Yeah, it gets really you gotta hard. you got to get those jumps just right. But yeah, so Celeste, I'm sure as many of our listeners will know... It was created by a trans person. Did you know this? Yeah. I had heard that, yes. Yeah. Maddie Thorson, the developer, came out as trans in 2020. Celeste came out in 2018. But at the end of the game, there is a rainbow pride flag and a trans pride flag, to which... That I did not Yeah, know. to which Maddie actually came out later and said that Madeline, the main character was canonically trans, followed her own transition and Maddie's own transition, which I think is really cool. That is. We've talked about how we haven't played a lot about this. So to those of you who have played the game and understand the lore very deeply, please forgive us. But for those of you who don't know what it is or haven't played the game, the story follows Madeline, the main character, and her determination to make it up to make it up Celeste Mountain as she faces her insecurities and challenges along the way. One of the characters that she faces is a character named Badeline, which is like Madeline's personification of her own anxieties and fears about not making yeah. it up the mountain and everything. And I just, I think about that a lot <laughs> in yeah. my brain. No, the, I really appreciate that. The personification, do I have a Bana? Like a Badana? <laughs> I, I don't know, but... <laughs> I This rabbit hole of Celeste got me thinking about another person. And Cam, you had put this into my brain. Yeah, we were talking about this. So we do a weekly game night, and uh, it always devolves into us just <laughs> chit-chatting about everything. And 
I was thinking about this person because I just saw a meme kind of randomly talking about it. So yeah, tell me about Wendy Carlos, who I had only a little bit of knowledge about, but I know you you have more. Yeah, so Wendy Carlos, also a trans person, was the composer for the Tron movie, and not like the, the original, the, not the new one, the original one that came out in yeah. 1964 or whatever, A Clockwork Orange, which I was like, oh, that's interesting, I like that. And then The Shining, which kind of blew me away a little bit. Like, I had no idea The Shining's music was written by a trans person. That is incredible. Tron's music and The Shining's music is so iconic and so recognizable. I don't know as much about Clockwork Orange. I know it. I've, I've seen it a couple of times. It's a very challenging movie. Yeah, I think that's why I don't know as much about it. <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. Just to clarify, so we're actually talking, I think Tron actually came out in the 80s. So the, I think the time period for this, yeah, 1982. 1982, okay, yeah. Yeah, but, but still really early in, again, people in media be coming out publicly as trans. But here's the thing, she was creating music as early as 1968, I want to say. Yeah. Which is wild. And I think that she came out not too long after that. Just incredible. Talk about a trans person who has made waves in the industry that she's in. It's incredible. Wendy Carlos, also the first trans person to receive a Grammy. Whoa, that's awesome. Yeah, deserved. Wendy Carlos and Celeste and Maddie have made waves in their industry, but they both have like ties to the video game industry in one way or another, Maddie a little more closely. And so I wanted to briefly touch on how are trans people being represented in the video games industry? Yeah. Because Cam, when you think of a trans e-girl, what do you think of? (laughs) I don't know. It's the Twitch streamer sort of culture. Like, that's the... The cat headphones, the toe socks, like, the programmer. But I also think about you, and I think about (laughs) our friends, who... There are a lot of gamers. There are a lot of role players. We've talked about this a lot, and it's one of the reasons why I think we feel so comfortable sharing our nerddom on the podcast, because we know that so many of you listening are also (laughs) gamers and nerds as well. So, according to the study I found, 8% of the games industry is made up of trans folks. Um, and that wow. includes genderqueer, non-binary, like all of the different identities, um, which is a lot, I think. <laughs> that is a non-significant amount of people in the games industry being trans, which makes me sad that it is, one, only 3% up from 2019. That doesn't seem like that big of a jump. The study that I'm talking about was taken in 2021. So in two years, we got 3% more trans people in the industry. But it also makes me sad about how bad video games are still at trans representation. Isn't that the thing? If you want well-represented games that have diverse characters in them that are thoughtfully done, you need to have the communities that you're representing. Hey, going back to our bitch rant about Cyberpunk 2077, just like how terrible, and if there had been a trans person involved in that, I should hope maybe that would not have occurred that way, and maybe that would have been a game that I'm playing right now. But I'm not. I've completely boycotted it as exactly. a new, because it's not worth giving them our money if that's the choice they're going to make. But it makes me sad, because I really want to play The Witcher 3 again, but it's by the same development company. And to be fair, I already own the game, so right. it's not going to put any more money in their pocket if I continue playing it. But it's irritating to me, and I think I think it's another yeah. situation in which we have to look at the art versus the artist but it's hard when it's a like major games company like that well and when the art is blatantly transphobic, blatantly transphobic. Then... <laughs> yes. 
that's where it's the line becomes a little clearer. But yeah, no, I think of when I think of trans people, a lot of video games, and that's because my generation is very much entrenched in the video games, and a lot of people who I know are very video game focused and are trans. But I think it's really interesting to see that, like, as early as the 1980s, trans people were involved in video games in some way or another. It's wild, the world that we live in, and how and cool trans people likely are. long before that, yeah, <laughs> too, exactly, just not necessarily exactly. out people. That's the other thing we know about that. Yeah. I just wanted to go back to Wendy Carlos for a second here, because I was really curious what uh, she had received a Grammy for, and she's won three Grammy Awards. Wow. Yep. And... They are related to the Switched On Bach, an album of music by Bach performed on a Moog synthesizer, which is so <laughs> rad. I've never heard this album before, and I am ready to listen to that when we're done recording today. Yes. Yeah. The reason why she was chosen to do the Tron music was because she was a very early adopter of like synthesizers and electronic yeah. music, which I think is just so cool. When we're talking about trans people at the cutting edge of technology for their times, trans video gamers or composers... It is incredible to me that trans people are always like, you know what? I already am at the head of my time. Let me just continue adding on to that by getting really deep into video game algorithms or really deep into new technologies for music or whatever. It, yes. Trans people are great. You all know this. And video games are also great, which I think you also all know this. I'm, I'm ready to turn on Switched On. What is it again? Switched On Switched Box. Switched On Box. <laughs> Well, I play video games after we're done with our recording today. <laughs> you may want to turn on Switched on Bach a little bit sooner here, because we're going to be talking about the DSM. Oh! The Diagnostic Statistical Manual. My mortal enemy, if I have a mortal enemy, I think it's the DSM. Specifically the DSM-5, because that's what I'm most familiar with, but all of them. I'm really but fascinated to hear you talk about this, because I know you've experienced this in a number of different ways and you have done a lot of research and i know very little i just being in this work it's uh pretty typical that we think about the dsm-5 simply because it's weaponized yep. <laughs> against trans people <laughs> and has been against all sexual orientations that isn't hetero and so, yeah t uh, tell me about it i'm super curious so starting off I'm curious to hear, what do you know about the DSM overall? Like, regardless of what generation or anything, what do you know about it? Yeah, my understanding, just really layman's terms, is it is a way of diagnosing sexual disorders. How people are sexually represented in the world, this is the way of identifying the terminology that we would use in psychology for those, yeah, for being sexual, I guess yeah. is all I can say. You're not wrong, but you aren't hitting the whole picture. So the DSM is actually okay. the mental health manual for diagnostic criteria. Oh, it's for not everything. Just, it's not just about sexual deviancy or gender deviancy or anything like that. It is every mental health diagnosis that you can have. Got it. And so when we're talking about the DSM in this podcast, we're specifically talking about the gender and sexuality stuff. But if you want to hear more about how bad the dsm is regarding other mental health conditions check out some other works on it because it is really bad so mainly what it's used for hopefully today is insurance codes it is the way that insurance gets billed in mental health practices currently so oftentimes if you are a mental health provider treating a patient with depression you're going to put in the DSM-5 code for depression. And then that gets sent off to the insurance company and they're like, oh, okay, we see that this code is here. 
this patient has depression, we're going to pay the therapist based on their amount for treating a, a depressed patient. It's a lot more complicated than that, but that is the basic essence of it. But it's also a tool for helping mental health professionals diagnose things. So for example, when I got my DID diagnosis, we looked at the DSM-5 together and we're like, okay, this is what the DSM-5 says is required to have a DID diagnosis. Do you match these criteria? And there are other tools and things that we can use to help fit that. But ultimately, it's usually, does it cause a disturbance in your daily life? Is it something that matches these like qualifications? Are you feeling down and depressed more than half the days of a week? I'm sure most of you have taken a PHQ-9 in your life. That's the depression screening that we all take whenever we go to the doctor's office. Those are used to determine your scale of depression. And then you go to the DSM-5 and say, okay, they ranked this. Did they match the criteria on the DSM-5? Okay. Basic overview of the DSM. So 1952, this is when the first DSM edition came out. And again, we're going to be focusing on the sexuality and gender stuff of this. But in this edition, homosexuality was classified as a sociopathic personality disturbance. Can we just break down that terminology a little bit? Sociopathic personality disturbance. I, I hate this. And something you will hear me say a lot of the DSM is written by bigots. It This is when it was really being written by bigots, though. Can we actually circle back on that particular topic? Yeah. I am curious. Who does develop this? Is, this must be some research institute or... Do we need to take a It's the American Psychiatric, yeah, Psychiatric. Psychiatric Association. Yep. So the American Psychiatric Association is the one who produces it. And they do this by taking a bunch of researchers and putting them in a room and are like, let's create the new diagnostic manual. This reminds me of how textbooks for college classes are developed. Yeah. Often it'll be like somebody who's really well researched in that and then they'll look to other experts and together they'll develop something. But there are a lot of textbooks that are developed by a larger trade organization or association where they just get everybody together and they're like, okay, we're going to take the fifth edition and tear it apart and see what's going to be accurate for our understanding of the subject matter for today. So yeah, it makes sense that that's the way that they do this, even if... The results are pretty bigoted. (laughs) Since we're on the topic of bigoted researchers, one of the worst people, especially for the DSM-5, his name is Ray Blanchard. And I'm just going to say, Ray, fuck you. (laughs) (laughs) I hate you as a person. He was one of the heads of the committees for the DSM-5 that decided on the diagnosis of gender dysphoria, which is in the DSM-5 still. And this man has on the record supported and confirmed rapid onset gender dysphoria, which as we know, is not a real thing. That's just not a thing at all. So they put a man who believes in fake theories on a board to help distinguish what should be the diagnostic criteria for diagnosing gender dysphoria which is terrible and this is the same person and i only know this because we were talking about this again last night who developed two theories that still are being weaponized against trans people the idea of homosexual transsexuals that Mm -hmm. there's no such thing as actual transsexual people but they're actually gay males and autogenophilic transsexuals i hate that word even saying it out loud which autogenophilia so gross transsexuals are it's a theory that is completely wrong in which the belief is that trans people especially trans women transition because they are attracted to themselves as women which is just wild it's so wild and so like the theory is that if you are a homosexual trans woman which they claim is a trans woman who is attracted to men which again is just wrong you are transitioning to become a female 
because you want to be more attractive to men, which is gross and wrong. And then you have trans women who are quote unquote straight, who are attracted to women, and they are transitioning to becoming women because they are attracted to themselves and the thought of them being women. I'm so grossed it's out. So by gross. I just, and, but again, I hear it so often yes. coming from anti, anti-trans people. Blanchard has been put on a pedestal because he was involved with DSM and has theories that play. But like many people that we talk about in the bigoted spaces, all those other people that we've referenced throughout the podcast, this is a very small group of people who are using unscientific (laughs) methods to support bigoted ideologies. I will say I hate Ray Blanchard, Ray Blanchard, but the other people who are on this panel, most of them are not bigoted. Most of the people who determined what the definition for gender identity is in the DSM-5 are not bigoted. They are genuinely trying to help trans people and help mental health professionals be able to help trans people. But then there are people like Ray Blanchard. (laughs) (laughs) Holding this back. But this is, I think we can circle back to the DSM at this point, just to say this is improving over time. So we've got the 1952 version, which was basically saying that homosexuality is a sociopathic personality disturbance which where did we get get to after that yes not only is homosexuality classified as a sociopathic personality disturbance also is transvestitism which is no (laughs) pedophilia which is probably one of the earliest points that i can point to to homosexuality and pedophilia being tied together in scientific literature in an academic scientific yeah yeah. oh that's yep fetishism and sexual sadism, all of which are just like, these are not, other than maybe pedophilia, none of these are really like personality disorders or even sociopathic personality disorders. I hate that terminology. Yeah, it's, again, I'm glad that we have a better understanding of how we're going to separate out pedophilia from all the rest of the things that are in there because we need to do that. And the fact that there are systems in place and a lot more mental health available to somebody who might be suffering from something that it looks like that in their lives. So 16 years later, we're now in 1968, the DSM-2 comes out. And wow, is it worse. Oh, no. The sexual deviation category codes were under homosexuality, fetishism, pedophilia, transvestitism, exhibition, voyeurism, (laughs) sadism, masochism, other sexual deviation, and unspecified sexual deviation. They just (laughs) snuck exhibitionism just right in there, didn't they? They just were like, hey, let's get that one in there. They also have voyeurism, sadism, and masochism all in there as well. We're really talking about things that society deems bad in here. (laughs) In the sexual deviation, can I just point out that they had other sexual deviation and unspecified sexual deviation? What is the difference between those two, really? <laughs> yeah. I, I really, I just want to say I've got an unspecified sexual deviation. <laughs> <laughs> so this is just worse in a lot of ways. Now they are blatantly saying that any sexual deviation should be immediately tied to pedophilia, which is just wrong. Pedophilia is yeah. not a sexual deviation. That is a problem with someone. You should not be attracted to children, flat out. All of the rest of these are fine as long as there are consenting adults involved. I don't care what you're into as long as everyone involved is a consenting adult. Yeah, we are not kink shamers here. And yes, exactly. Exhibitionism looks like a lot of things. It feels like the 1980s guy with a trench coat (laughs) 
who is like flashing people. But it also is like nude beaches. Like yep, it's exactly it, it, we have to really reframe. And I think our audience knows if this is your first episode is a wild this is one. A, we are so, <laughs> welcome. <laughs> we have completely different energy than normal in this episode. And we are sorry about that. But we're not kink shamers here. We're very sex positive And these are things that are normal behaviors yes. in the world as long as there are consenting adults involved. So six years later, they realized how bad the DSM-2 was and came up with an update. So in 1974, they classified homosexuality as a sexual orientation disturbance as opposed to a sexual deviation. Technically only applied to people disturbed by their orientation as long as they were gay. Which, we're in the 1970s now, and people who are gay were not accepted really yet. Right. So the reason you would be disturbed by your orientation is because of external factors, exactly. I would imagine. Exactly. We're getting better, but we're still not anywhere good yet. Right. We are now in 1974, six years later, 1980, DSM-3 comes out. And it's not worse, which I think is maybe the best thing i can say for it <laughs> oh yay we've progressed the 80s now we've got cocaine so everything feels better <laughs> there are four categories now in the psychosexual disorders we've got gender identity disorders which is still the terminology used around today so that's you know not terrible i wouldn't say it's good but it's not terrible paraphilias psychosexual dysfunctions inhibited sexual desire and premature ej ejaculation which are not really things, but there is a huge thing in the 80s about men who were like, we're leaking from our penises and everything. And it just, <laughs> it, oh. yeah, there was a weird thing. Go listen to Sawbones. They did a really good episode on it. Yeah. And then other psychosexual disorders, including egodidonic homosexuality decided for heterosexuality, but not experiencing heterosexual arousal or experiencing unwanted or distressing homosexual arousal. <laughs> That gets in the way of being I, heterosexual. Really, again, it feels really external. Yeah, that just feels like societal pressure to not be gay. So what this is saying is, I am a homosexual who has the desire to be heterosexual, but I can't experience heterosexual arousal, and I cannot experience, or I get disturbed by having homosexual arousal because that gets in the way of me having heterosexual arousal, which is really just external factors. Like, all of this is external. You can be gay yeah. and it's fine. That's the hardest thing. This is a different conversation about dysphoria in some ways. Yeah. How society and all of the factors, our upbringing, the people that we're surrounded by, television, like, all those things create a system where then when you're having sex and you can't get aroused or... Because you're gay. It's, you're in your head. Yeah. <laughs> because yeah, because you're gay or you're having homosexual sex and you feel bad about it because you want to be the Catholic Church yeah. <laughs> told you it was not okay. It's, <sighs> yeah, that's it's really unfortunate that this is where there's this interesting difference between a disturbance, something that we're born with that's a mental health concern that we need treatment for and what kind of trauma society has caused on us that and both are still mental health i don't want to differentiate them because they both are things you need to talk to your therapist, yeah, therapist but about one is, but they exist in different spaces one is a social mental health issue and one is yes. a genetic mental health issue and when we're talking about these there are treatments that are very societally difficult but easy for individuals to get 
path with a therapist when it comes to social things. You can talk to a therapist and learn to accept yourself as being gay, and suddenly these disturbances shouldn't be affecting you anymore. Whereas if you have depression, you can't just talk therapy away depression. That's not really how that works. No matter how good talk therapy is. I don't want to say if you have depression, don't go to a therapist. Absolutely do. No, please. (laughs) We feel very strongly that that is. But also there's a pill. Yes. (laughs) Because that kind of thing has some physiological factors that can be treated using the right kind of medication. And so that combination works. There's not a pill to make you not gay. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) And actually, all of the treatments I put in quotations that we have for gayness at this time are, one, not treatments at all. And two, are very harmful to individuals. There's not... Just be gay. It's okay. You can be gay. I We love you. Also, something that we didn't mention here... Neither of us are mental health professionals. Please do not take any of this as mental health advice or medical advice whatsoever. We've got these four categories now. And then seven years later, 1987, the DSM-3R comes out. Don't ask me what the R stands for. I think it stands for revised, but I don't know for certain. That makes sense. Or or a pirate got in the room. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) DSM-3R. They replaced the ego diastonic homosexuality with persistent and marked distress about one's sexual orientation. So instead of being something about you are try you have an ego battle basically going on in your brain of I want to be heterosexual but I'm homosexual, they now have it going back to what the DSM-2 was talking about where it was disturbed about their sexual orientation. I am having troubles because I am gay and I don't know how to deal with that. Yeah. Which I think is something that a lot of queer people do struggle with. I don't think it needs to be in the DSM, though. (laughs) No. I I don't think that you need to have a category for, oh, you really struggled with your mental health because you're gay. That It just, it adds unnecessary pressure. In the DSM-4 that they released in 1994, no changes. The DSM-2R, or the DSM-3R, it was all the same text about sexual deviances and gender identity and everything. But in 2013, when the DSM-5 came out, they did better. We're finally at better. Which is that they had no text at all about sexual orientation. Which is Good. excellent. <laughs> there should be That's no text about a sexual orientation in the DSM. But the gender di- identity disorder is still present. Which we've talked about before on this podcast. I technically have this diagnosis. I have a gender identity disorder you, diagnosis. You had to in order to be able to receive gender-affirming care. Exactly. You, you had to admit to multiple psychologists that you have dysphoria (laughs) as determined by the dsm yes when we are talking about is the dsm-5 good no because it forces trans people to have to one out themselves to insurance providers which isn't always necessarily a good thing and two it means that they have to have a diagnosis that they don't probably need i probably don't qualify for a gender identity disorder diagnosis anymore but to keep receiving care that i need i have to have it on my record Which is stupid. Yeah, so this is the history of the DSM. What are the things about it? What are the good things? What are the bad things that we haven't touched on? So a lot of the time between the publications of the DSM-2 and the DSM-5 involved people trying to declassify sexual orientation as a disorder. A lot of the additions in between, as you could see, were involved in political compromises, not scientific ones. Sexual orientation being in the DSM wasn't a, this isn't scientifically or medically necessary, it was a... We think that homosexual people are deviant people, and we don't want them in our society, so we're going to label them as mentally ill, which is terrible. 
There was also pushback that, quote, gay activists were trying to change science, which I think is something we still hear quite a lot. Trans people ignore science or are push- are trying to change science or whatever, which is just not a thing. And here's the thing. The DSM is not the bible on what is science or not it is just what a couple of dudes in a room think is the right thing for mental (laughs) health diagnoses sexual orientation was a fight to remove from the dsm but it's out there now the dsm-5 does not have any mention of sexual orientation which is a good thing gender identity disorder though is still in the dsm it's in the dsm-5 and it has a lot of pushback from especially trans communities. One of the biggest criticisms is that the is about Ray Blanchard, the man who we talked about, and the fact that he is a complete bigot. <laughs> so do I think... Espousing that, scientific theories that yeah. we know are not credible, that you, as we just talked about, are that's the litmus test because it exists in the DSM that you have to go up against in order to receive care that you critically need as a trans person. Exactly. Do I think that the DSM should have any mention of gender dysphoria? No, I don't think it should. I think the gender dysphoria should be something that's talked about similar to how sexuality is talked about in therapy without needing a diagnosis to get care. Dealing with the societal factors and pressures as opposed to this thought that these are mental disorders or what was it earlier? I just want to say it out loud again. Sociopathic personality God. disturbances. Such a bad word. Because, yeah. I'm glad we've come so far in 50 years to this point. But again, the science is so far behind in these. You said it's not the Bible, but unfortunately, in, in a psychotic clinic, like it's, <laughs> it's the place where these things are exactly. happening. Do we need a DSM-6? Unfortunately, I think we do. And yeah. I think that when we get it, it should not include any wording or information about gender dysphoria or anything like that. I think that I need to say that carefully in that when I say that and what I mean is gender affirming care should be free, regardless of what the DSM-5 says. Insurance should cover it. And this can get into a whole debate about the universal health care. But gender affirming care should be free. Mental health care should, should be, be available. Free. Like these are things yep. that need to be accessible and free so that people can fucking live. So the last thing I wanted to touch on before we get to our gender euphoria here is the DSM-5's focus on over-medicalization and the focus on the diagnosis above all else. This is something that I, as a trans person with DID, has experienced a lot of. My therapist does a very good job of taking my thoughts and opinions in to the diagnosis. But the DSM-5 doesn't care about that. If you meet the criteria, you technically have the diagnosis. So when my therapist and I chatted about what my diagnostic material looks like, she asked me, do you want to have this on your record? Do you want to have this on your record? Because it helps with insurance. It means that, for example, with my DID, I can't donate plasma. It's so stupid. There's no reason that I shouldn't be able to donate plasma. I can go and donate blood just fine, but plasma? Nope, off the table. And it's because of the goddamn DSM-5 and the diagnostic criteria. The DSM-5 sucks, and its over-medicalization is the worst. Another thing that I don't feel qualified to talk about, but should be brought into the conversation, is that the DSM-5 and the DSM overall take one cultural perspective, which is that of a white man, yes. <clears throat> white Christian yep. man, It doesn't have very many, if any, other cultural considerations whatsoever. So the DSM-5 sucks. I think we need to do better. And I think we can do better in the future. I think just having this knowledge prepares us all to be able to have these conversations in society and say, 
No wonder people feel that it's politicized because it it is. <laughs> it's it's it, baked it is. into it. And because this is being used, again, to inform anti-trans legislation and these conversations more broadly, it needs to get fixed in order to open the door for us to be able to have real scientific conversations. The DSM is not founded in science. It's founded on researchers' beliefs. And we need to get to a point where it is founded in science. I'm not even going to say get back to because it's never been founded in science. Let's do better, mental health community. As I am entering the field, we need to do better in this. Can I share our gender euphoria for today? Please do. I'm excited. And I want you to be able to take a breath because you just shared a lot of (laughs) (laughs) rough information. We received an email from Cedar. Thank you, Cedar. Thank you, Cedar. And they say, I'm a minor, AMAB individual, and a trans femme identifying person. My gender euphoria happened about a week ago when my mom took me shopping for Christmas and I got to pick out a dress. My mom is very supportive, but it felt super awesome to be accepted and loved as well as just trying on dresses and seeing myself in them, which was amazing. That's what we love to hear. I love that, Cedar. <laughs> I, it brings me so much joy when I get to secondhand or, or firsthand experience cracking experiences, like trying on a dress for the first time or getting a packer in the mail or something. It fills my soul so much, and it makes all the bad stuff that we push against every day manageable. Thank you so much, Cedar. And keep sending us those gender euphorias. We we love to read them, even if they don't always make it on air. We read them. We see you out there. And that's the fuel that we need, as Anna just said, in order to keep doing this. <laughs> if you have questions about transitioning or supporting someone who is transitioning, and you'd like us to talk about it on the show, please shoot an email to questions at transgenderpod.com, click the chat with us button on our website, or DM us on social media. And if you'd like to support the show, you can become a patron on Patreon. And let me point out, You can do that for free now, and you can get updates there from us as well. I don't update it as much as I would like, but we're moving to a place in our podcasting where we're going to be doing some new things, and that's a great place to find out what's up next. That's going to be where you will get all of our information first. That is where we will post first and foremost. Shout out this week to Maria, a supporter-level patron. Thank you so much, and my, Maria. And my friend in real life. So and thank Kim's you, Maria. Friend. <laughs> Be sure to check out our episode description for links to resources on today's topics. We have a lot of information thanks to our wonderful, amazing researcher, Andre, who did so much of the work on the DSM part of this episode. Thank you, Andre. And if you want to fact check us, do it there. And thanks for listening. I've been Cam. I've been Anna. And this has been The Transgenda. Love you all, except the bigots. And Ray Blanchard. <laughs>